Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the CMS Student Podcast. I'm Alan and I'm once again here remotely with Connor. Hello everyone. On this week's show, we're going to talk about how it's time to start your OT exams again and the best way to get started. We also look at the recent news stories on how some companies are moving towards working from home for the long term before getting to this week's student question. So Connor, I guess people have just finished their case studies, some of them a few weeks ago, some of them very recently uh, or more recently and, and it's kind of it's, it's all about momentum, isn't it? It's all about kind of, oh, well, I give myself three months off and I'll see what happens and then I'll get back to it. It really is the benefit of doing exams is having done one, you're kind of in that frame of mind. And I think you'll get your, you'll get like SEMA finished quicker if you just kind of say, no, let's, let's work through it. Let's take a week's break and start again and keep going and keep going. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we don't want to present this image that we're these horribly tough taskmasters. And absolutely, when Connor you, is the, oh. yeah, yeah, when you finish um, an exam, I think you know that that little break is as important to momentum as getting started again. You know, taking those few days, relaxing, not just jumping straight in the next day, but it's it's important that stays as a a break and doesn't become kind of an extended holiday. So you know, enjoy finishing, reset yourself you know, see your friends and family catch up on things, but then it, it really is important you get back into that study. And it's not it's not getting back into that maybe, you know, intense um revision that you were doing just before that last exam. It, it's it's all about starting early and, and having a plan and a process that you can work through it and you can chip away at it in a more manageable format. But it, it's kind of just about making that leap back in because the longer you leave that, the harder it becomes. Mm-hmm. So I think the we students have always asked how do you get started and I and we're going to go through some of those tips on OT exams now in a second. But when you kind of how do you get started and how do you get motivated? I think in SEMA because when you're doing the exams from home and you're doing them on demand, I think how to get motivated is now pick eight or nine weeks away and book an exam today. And knowing that you have an exam in the, in eight or nine weeks will give you that motivation. So I think the first step. Is booking the exams because I think if you're studying, I know if I was studying, and I kind of say, oh yeah, I'm going to start studying now, but I haven't, I don't know when I'm doing my exam, but I'll book it soon. Your heart kind of won't be in it, and you'll, you might go through the motions, but you're not kind of under any. And we're not talking about putting you under lots of pressure, but you're not under kind of any pressure really if you're if you're studying to no real end or no real plan. Yeah, and it's like um, people are going to be sick of hearing us make marathon and running comparisons, but it's that same idea. You know, if you just say, I'll, I'll maybe start running and at some point build up to a marathon, it's going to be a long time, if ever, before you get to that stage. Whereas, you know, if you booked that race at a certain point, it's going to affect how you train between now and then. And it's the same idea with the exams. It's having that commitment is something to work towards. You can't get away from it, you know whether you feel it as that that maybe little bit of pressure that keeps you on top of it or it's just something that you're aiming for but it's it's a positive thing because it it gives you kind of i suppose a goal and a light at the end of all of us and it, it lets you know what you're you're working towards so we do have a mix of people listening to this will be some of you will have done maybe one or two levels already of the ot exam and probably think you have a crack to, and you may well do and some new listeners may have just done a case study, may have got exemptions, and this could be the first OT exams you go through. But either way, I think always refreshing your approach is not a bad way because assuming that you kind of know the best way can be a little bit dangerous. 
So we have a few quick um, tips here. We're not going to spend too long talking about them, um, but certainly we're going to take turns in going through each one and giving a little bit of background, and we'll just run through them pretty quickly. So I think the first one and the most obvious one, and everybody listening to this will go, well, of course you do, but so many don't, is reading the entire question. And I think what happens, to when, you, especially when you have a multiple choice question, is you go to the answers. And you kind of you, you glance over the question quickly and you think, oh, there, there's a question and there's the answers. And I've picked a keyword from the question and I've picked a keyword from the answer. You go, that's it. You click on it and you move on. So I think reading the question um, and before jumping straight into what you what looks like could be the answer, because the, the examiner is not out to trick you, but they are out to make you think. So just you have a certain amount of time per question try and use that time as much as you can. Some of them you will know straight away and they'll be second nature, but make sure to read the question. And we'll be talking about things later on in this that, that will highlight that. But reading the entire question, take your time, take that breath and make sure your answer is correct. Yeah, and I, I think following on from that and you were starting to touch on it is answering the question in your mind first. So after you read the question, don't, or you know, sometimes people before they even read the question, they're looking at the answers as you said, read the question and then think in your mind, what do you think the answer is to that before looking at the different options? And if you can answer it in your mind first and then you can confirm the option that you thought is there, you know, then maybe read it again, make sure that you're not missing anything. That's a really good approach. Whereas when you're kind of, as you said, scanning over it and you, you see what you think is a connection or, you know, you see one of the answers and it just becomes this kind of glowing light in your head that you can't get away from without actually thinking through the question, that's where you get into trouble. So try try think in your mind as you read the question, what do I think the answer is? And then move to the solutions or to the options. So when you're talking about like what you think the answer is, sometimes you'll read a question and you go, that's the answer. I'm so sure of that. I know that area really well. But there's going to be some questions that you won't 100% be sure. Um, but when you look at the answers what you should do is try and get rid of the answers by a process of elimination. So what you need to do is kind of say, okay, well, if you've got a one in four chance of being right, can you make those odds better? So can you get rid of one or two of those answers? So if you know for certain that by eliminating these two answers, now you've got a 50% chance of getting the question right. So be really, don't just panic if you're not 100% sure. Go from the other perspective, get rid of those wrong answers and I say, okay, well, yes, it's always going to be a guess, but I definitely prefer, prefer to guess one out of two than I would one out of four. Certainly your chances of getting those extra marks are better. So if you think about it, so don't panic when you have a question. Try and, and look at those answers and say, well, I don't 100% sure what the answer is, but I know 100% what it isn't. And if you start from there, you actually might get to a logical answer and it could be a little bit easier. And I, what I always picture with those is, um, and I'm not sure how many people would have seen the show, but the, the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where they're given a question and given four answers, and that kind of labored process they work at to get to their answer. But that's almost what you need to do. Get rid of the ones you know are definitely wrong. And then, you know, even if it comes down to a guess between two, there's no negative marking, but that's a far better odds than just, you know, blankly guessing over the four. So yeah, I think that process of elimination. Um, then I think, which might seem obvious, but we'll dig into is, it's about selecting the best answers. And what can be awkward, again, these they design these questions so that they're not, you know, 
the most straightforward, clear-cut, black and white. So sometimes you do have to to dive into what's the most appropriate answer. Um, because there there can be some degree of ambiguity, but they're looking at, you know, the most professional, best possible response. So sometimes you have to to look at that and, and sometimes what that means is is thinking of it in the real world and thinking of it professionally, what would you be the most comfortable with you know answer to give or comfortable response if it's kind of one of these ot scenarios so you really do have to think what's the best what's the most appropriate of these options if there is that ambiguity yeah and i think the the opposite of that is jumping in when you think you see the right answer so you kind of read the question quickly and answer b catches your eye and does oh it's answer b without looking at the other options that might be there and if you don't look at the other options you might miss the, so your your choice might be the correct answer or it might be a correct answer, but it mightn't be the best answer. And I think sometimes if you don't read them correctly, because some of them are going to be ambiguous, some of them are going to be a little bit different, some of them might have multiple questions in them, but it's reading every option, if nothing else, to 100% confirm that the choice, that your instinct was correct. So no matter how sure you are, you always need to read every answer option to make sure that you actually think you got it right. And and I think sometimes in that particularly, and I used to find with, with calculation type questions, sometimes when you're partway through a calculation, you see the answer and you think, okay, that's me done. But sometimes there's, you know, another stage to that question or you have to take it one bit further, which gets to the next answer. So, so you know, I always say when you've got to your um, your answer, go back and read the question. Make sure that you've you've taken that far enough, particularly in the calculations. Um, I think the next thing, this kind of comes to something we talk about a bit around exam strategy, um, and it, it's about you know your approach to working through questions. If you don't know certain questions, you know maybe moving on and coming back. Um, but really, you want to don't find yourself getting. Um, caught on questions that you're going over time on them spending ages trying to work it out when you're missing out on questions that you know and could answer so what can work well is just either moving on and getting through all the, the questions you know first or just having that that strict time as you work through it so that you're not going over time um, on questions you don't understand which is costing you the valuable time on the questions you do know so we've narrowed down like a lot of the ways to answer questions and a lot of ways to maybe get down to two choices. But as Connor mentioned, who wants to be a millionaire? You often see them sitting there and saying, well, I know what two it isn't, but out of two that are left, I have no clue. There's not like, it really is a 50-50. And I think the advantage of your exams are you don't get um, penalized in any way. Um, you don't get, uh, you don't lose marks for getting it wrong. So sometimes you will have to guess. And we know students sometimes don't guess. We know from reading examiner reports that some questions go unanswered. And you have to remember that there's no risk to answering a question. So if you're left with two or four options and you don't even know where to begin, it really is pin the tail on the donkey type thing. Just pick an answer and move on. But certainly don't get bogged down. You certainly, if you don't know the answer or have an idea straight away, Spending 10 minutes isn't going to change that. It really isn't going to change that at all. So what you need to do is admit defeat as early as possible. Save the time for the questions you can think about longer and answer better. Make that guess and just move on quickly and, and kind of leave it in the past. 
Yeah, the the next one, and again, we are starting to repeat ourselves with some of these, but there there is only limited things that they can do in these to, to challenge you and, and limited ways they can try catch you out. And if you have a good um, knowledge of the content, you should be able to overcome these. But the other thing to be careful with is just when you're reading um, the question, paying close attention to words like not or sometimes or always or never. If you think, you know, an answer that includes the word always, it must be irrefutable that that's it. Um, so it's really important that you're, if you see those, you think of the effect that it has on those answer options. Um, because, you know, a question with sometimes is going to be quite different to a question with always. And you need to think of the implication of that. I think, you know, continuing on from that is with regard to the answers. If you see the likes of all of the above or none of the above as one of the options, think what effect that has on the, the question um, and, you know, the, the implications of your answer. And it's, it's really important that you you think about those as options um, and you look at them alongside the, the other options that are available to think, it's, is it possible you could say all of the above um, or none of the above based on those options? So I think that in total is a really good summary and, and we can find lots of lists and lots of tasks that you could do and lots of do these 10 things, do these 20 things. Um, but all of the things that we talked about today, remember the day you walk, your day, well, you don't walk into the exam hall a lot of times now, but the, the walk day to your you bedroom. <laughs> the way you walk to your bedroom for the exam to go live, what you need to make sure is that that shouldn't be the first time you have any of the feelings that we've talked about today, that you've come across any of those difficulties. You should have experience through mock exams and through practicing questions. Many times when you've been left with two answers, many times when you didn't have a clue, many times that you were guessing and many times that you, you were sure. And you should have had the experience that you're really sure and you still got it wrong and you learned something from it. So it's really important to take this advice on board, but to take it on board from day one of your studying and your practicing and not just say, oh, I have to think about all these things in my exam. If you do it during practicing now, they're second nature in your exam and you'll just go through the process and you'll save yourself time. So if you can take that on from day one, and hopefully day one is coming up maybe Monday, um, and starting studying again and using these tips, you'll have a great chance of passing your next exam. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content, important news, live streams, study tips, and much more. So Connor, the the news stories that we picked this week are kind of um, we were very negative at the beginning of this pandemic, but I think a lot of countries, um, certainly in Europe and the US and, and, and Asia, are are looking to the future and looking to come out of difficulties that we're in. And everybody's looking at each other about when do you go back to work, when can you go to the park, when can you play sports again, when can you attend big events again. There's all of these questions out there. And I think smaller companies are probably looking at bigger companies about what they're doing. And we've had a look at a few things about Facebook and Google and MasterCard being huge companies, global companies, what they're trying to do. Um, and we look at like MasterCard are saying that they're allowing people um, home until they feel comfortable to attend the office. I think they employ, employ 20,000 people globally. Um, and most of their staff, I would say, are working from home. Um, we've talked before that Twitter have said that they're, they may ne- they might have staff that may never return to an office in their whole career at the company. Um, it's, it's quite interesting about what the, 
and everybody's using this term the new normal but i guess all of these articles are about that that i'm not too sure there's a new normal instruction booklet out there i think it'll develop over time and, and people will choose their own level of risk and comfort and, and i think most companies will be understanding of that going forward yeah and i think what's interesting is you know if you were talking about some of these things like moving to work from home a year ago that would have seemed like the more out there approach of a very kind of forward-thinking um modern company that's letting their workforce work from home a certain amount whereas now it's actually the kind of more conservative approach allowing people to continue at this you know even for the the remainder of the year or into next year or, or finding a level that keeps their um employees comfortable because certainly from a risk perspective and given that a lot of companies have been able to continue operating as normal um you know it, it's I suppose they see more risks or employee issues having people back in where they're not comfortable or they they don't feel comfortable doing that as opposed to finding a system that works as a mix of working from home and maybe some employees coming in. So I think it is interesting. It's something we've talked about even on this the last while of, you know, will this be one of the lasting effects? And a lot of the the kind of big players, as you said, like Facebook and Google and Twitter and MasterCard are coming kind of out and, and putting their flag in the ground with the kind of approach they're looking towards. And you look at companies and we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of um, industries that are hard hit, that people have lost jobs or and they're still talking about job losses in certain areas. But when companies are looking at costs and they're thinking, well, our staff have worked at home for a long time now. They're used to it. Do we really need this 20 floor building in the middle of the city centre? I know Barclays have done it. I know when in, in Learn Signal we think, well, maybe the, the office space that we have we could possibly have double the staff and still not need more space because we probably wouldn't expect that people will be working full time in an office week in, week out anymore. Um, and because people will find this do certain things more effectively at home and all of those type of things. And it was interesting how Barclays did mention, so its CEO mentioned that the, the big expense of city offices may be a thing of the past. And, and companies will certainly be more open to the idea of of working from home. And I think most companies would have always said, oh yeah, working from home is no problem, but we kind of prefer you didn't do it. In, yeah. in kind of, don't, don't do it. Of course we're open to it, but we prefer you didn't because we like seeing you in the office. I think when, when they look now and they say, look at all the money we could save, do we really need the hassle of having big offices, paying big rent? Do we need just a floor with some meeting rooms and some hot desks for when people have to come in? It, more and more, it seems to make more more sense, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there's all, obviously with a lot of these things, there's always this commercial side, but definitely these companies are seeing this. And, you know, I'm sure everyone's reviewing their kind of lease agreements and they're seeing, you know, they're probably looking at the analysis of, okay, well, what capacity do you have to have if we only ever have, you know, 40% of our workforce in? And, and people are um, kind of reassessing this. And what's been crazy and we've talked about this in a, f- in a few aspects is it's it's given companies a, a trial run at something they maybe had considered but had never really wanted to implement or risk doing so now almost a- any company that has been able to has done this trial run of you know employees working from home i know there's reports recently where a lot of places have seen that um their kind of employee efficiency is actually higher the engagement's higher people are working harder so it's you know it's certainly the mix of 
business being able to continue as normal, if not more effectively, and then the potential to save cost, it could just certainly make that decision um, easier or, or I suppose make a decision hard to look away from having some element of working um, from home for your company. Yeah, and obviously we're talking about industries here that can work from home, like like we do a lot or all the time at the moment. Um, and there's certain industries that can't, and, and obviously that that's unfortunate for some of them. But when we're looking at people who can work from home, and you you look at Mastercard, and they say that people have to follow social distancing rules, wear face masks, and undergo temperature checks, you would kind of think to yourself, well, where do you feel more? Where do you feel safer and more productive? Like. I just the whole thing about being in the middle of something and you have to go and get a, a, a temperature check and then you start thinking to yourself, well, am I safe in here and do I feel comfortable? So I, I do think that it's, it's and there's a, there's a statement here and, and um, it, it says that one day, I think probably aided by a vaccine and the ability therefore for the workers and customers to get the confidence they need, we can go back about thinking about a pre-COVID kind of growth stage, but also noticing that I think that's some time away and I do think that's some time away because confidence is the key thing here. And, and I don't think anybody wants to rush people back to an office for more people to get sick. I think it has to be built up slowly and in a very confident way that people feel comfortable. And, and I think certainly personally, if I had the choice between working from home or going to an office and getting temperature checks and face masks, although I re- appreciate it's necessary, but if I had the choice, I think I would choose to stay at home. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. So, Alan, we had a question in this week, um, which is as as much a statement as a question, but one that I'm sure a lot of people are feeling, um, which is, you know, after just doing a case study exam, it's pretty hard to find your your motivation or any motivation or to, you know, to get back into it. So I suppose, what would you say to someone who's looking for motivation um, to start back into it? I think when you're, when you come down to motivation and especially if you've done a case study exam, they are certainly more kind of imposing on your time and your energy mentally and physically than, than the OT. But if you've just finished your case study exam and you've just finished the long exam and all the studying and all the preparation and reading the case studies and everything that comes with it, it is hard to get going again. Um, but I think people work in two different ways, but I think overall you've entered this process for a reason. You've entered SEMA for a reason. It's to become a qualified management accounting accountant to help with your career, to help with your future, to get paid more, whatever it might be. And I think you need to keep your kind of eye on that prize. And starting an exam tomorrow, starting an exam next week, whatever you do, whatever your next step is, it's kind of, if you want that prize, if you want to reach that finishing line, it's what you have to do. And the quicker you get going, and we talked about momentum earlier, the quicker you get going, keep that momentum, the quicker you'll get to that prize. And and it might feel like, a, but a, myself and Connor have been in that situation where we have been in the middle of doing exams. And it does, it feels like uh, you're immersed in it when you're there. But when you're finished, you're glad you did it quickly. You're glad you pushed yourself. You're glad you made a little bit of extra effort to pass first time. And when you're finished, it doesn't seem so bad, but I think it definitely feels like it's worth it. So it really is. Don't think about, oh, I have another exam. Oh, I have three more exams after that. Don't think about that. Think about 
do I want to be a qualified management accountant at the end of this? And if I do, this is just what I have to do. These are the steps. These are inevitable. There's nothing, there's no way of avoiding them if I want to get that prize. So keep that momentum up and keep believing that that prize is just in touch, touching distance and keep on working as hard as you can and you will get there and it will definitely be worth it. So I'm going to leave it there this week. Thank you to Connor and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>